Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from four exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. Oh no, it's... Hi, that's me. No, I was setting my push to talk. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from the top. That's the problem with adding a name that starts with A. Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from four exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium, hi. Alessio. Hello. Cara. Hello. And I am your host, Fen. We're going to be talking about a range of different topics from across the hobby. And today we'll start with the Standy Catch-Up. So, anyone want to jump in with what they've been up to? Any volunteers? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll start. Um, for the past few days, I've not really been playing any board game. What I've been doing is um, planting stuff. I've been doing a, a lot of gardening on my balcony. So I have a lavender and mint and um, chive growing. And I've recently been starting uh, growing mushrooms too. Uh, and today I've seen my first little uh, wisps of mycelium. So maybe soon I'll have my own... Um, reishi and shiitake and chanterelle it's going to be delicious i need to find a, a board game that deals with uh, mushrooms though so if you have any recommendation um there's 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 a dice based gardening one that i can't remember the name of right now but it was being raved about recently give me a moment um, <laughs> uh, before before i go and quickly try and find that one um i was gonna say uh we we've been growing in our garden um we've got uh strawberries and wild strawberries which are actually quite different um both of those are left over from the previous occupants uh, who we just neglected them over the winter and they decided to keep growing so good for them and we're also growing proper proper strawberries as well so yeah we've been doing a bit i was going to plant some uh cauliflower but i missed the window so i'll have to wait for next year I actually don't know the names of mushrooms in English, so I, I really can contribute a lot to, to this discussion. Well, <laughs> well cauliflower teach... is not a mushroom. <laughs> I'm going to teach you one, Portobello. That's the really big one. Uh, por and that's yeah. Portobello Lane, very famously. There's a market in London. Uh, it's a great market. You go to London, you should visit it at least once. It's crowded, sweaty. Uh, I bought a nice Van Gogh umbrella there one time. You, you know that Portobello is actually an Italian word, right? Yeah, yeah, well, it's the same words. There you go. <laughs> I can't remember that one. <laughs> yep, yep. And there's there's that famous song from that Disney movie. Portobello Road. Portobello Road. Is it, yeah, it yeah. Bedknobs and Broomsticks it's in? Um, oh, okay. I think so. I only know the title in German. Um, I, I think, think it is, yeah. It would be like The Crazy Witch and Her Flying Bed or so. Yes, it's yeah, that it's one. Yeah, that's Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yes, yep, it is, yeah. Yeah, broomsticks is mazze di tamburo in Italian. Uh, uh, actually, they are uh, manici di scopa, but there's not a name for a, for a mushroom. I think it's the same as mazze di tamburo, but mm. I, I'll check actually, or I'm, I'm trying to poison some Italian listener indirectly. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a nice little song from an okay-ish sort of movie with starring David Tomlinson and Angela Langbury. Yeah. That ends with uh, Scottish armors going back to life and taking back their country. 
Yes. Yeah. A anyone else? Kara? Uh, I haven't really been up to much. Um, I did meet my mother last weekend, which was the first private human contact I had for like eight months. So that was nice and weird. And that's great news. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm beat. Oh. I don't want to see humans anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <clears throat> now I just need to get used to it again. It's, uh, it's been a long time. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to meeting people and playing games, not on tabletop simulator. Oh, actually, this is uh, this is a melting hot summer. I, I don't know if I want to, to see people or stay at home fresh. I actually don't know. True, true. It's, it's incredibly hot. And we are talking about the weather, which yeah. is always nice. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about the weather a lot in future years. I mean, we had snow here in spring. Oh, no. <laughs> not, not just a little bit, like actually multiple inches of snow. We had uh, also snow in spring in Belgium, which used to be something, but hadn't been for at least two decades. So, You know, uh, my only trip to Sweden was in January because I had to visit customers in Gothenburg and I found no snow at all. It was like uh, a beginning early spring day. I think it was 2014. I just realized I don't think I have any board game that has the weather as theme. Ooh. It's often a mechanic in games. Th there's something called seasons anyway. Yeah, I don't have seasons. Well, we recently played uh, Rep Cathedral, which is all about seasons, but not really about weather. <laughs> yeah, you, you have parks, which, of which we talked about, which has a lot of seasons and modifiers, but it's a mechanic, actually, not a theme. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, isn't it? Yeah, someone told, someone told me something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think there is some game about climate change, actually, but... I have yes, no that's right. Yep, yeah. Some people have been talking about. It. I haven't had a chance to take a look at it yet. Um, there's a not very good game called Meteo, um, which is uh, you build hotels and cruise ships and try and make sure the weather is idyllic for them. So hmm. you actually move the weather around. So that's uh, interesting. A bit different. Uh, there's a trick cape taking game that's apparently really not very good called Weather Slam. Uh, uh, Donna Wetter. It's it's kind Predicting of predicting the weather. <laughs> I, I think the one you're referencing is called uh, the Rule Thirty Four of board games. If it exists, there's a board game for it. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, there probably is. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Dune has a heck of a weather system in it. You know, <laughs> and um, I mean, we talked about Dead of Winter before, where literally, like, the big part of that is it's all set in the winter, um, which makes and the game extra miserable. Yeah, and the big part that deals with that. Mm, yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, maybe that's something to look at in the future. But yeah, it'd be interesting to have like a uh, try and find a game where literally all you're doing is playing as the weather. Um, I mean, I played a fun little puzzle game 
a while ago oh. where, where you played a, crowd, a cloud that rained on everything. Yeah, exactly. That was the one with clouds. Oh, wait, yeah. Um, um, oh, how's it called? Um, oh, I only yeah, know there's the, the, an expansion there was a with thieves and there's yeah. an, one with cows and one with clouds. And how's it called? Petricor. Petricor. Okay, we are supposed to know about board games. We can't know about. <laughs> we can't know about all board games. We can't. There's, there's <laughs> so many of them. Yeah, I, I cannot even know some board games. I barely know the board games I have in the house. In fact, I don't. Sometimes they turn up. No, not even <laughs> those. Yeah, there's Cloud Age, but that's like um, that's not cloud based. That's just sailing around the air. Clouds is a matching game. There you go. Turn of a card, match cloud sections. So that's like you know a matching game. Let's, okay, uh... okay. Let's go back to order. Let's talk oh, about TV. Oh. No, mm. let, let, let's say one. Let's say one thing first, which is important. Actually, uh, I think it's about a month that we have a new Patreon, Christian, and I think it's uh, time to officially thank him for the support. We so thank you. At the end you. of the last episode. <laughs> okay, I heard all the episode and I missed that part. I have uh, very, very loud kids in the car when I listen to the episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Alexis did, didn't you? Okay, yeah, you I did. All these thanked... comments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get two thank yous. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I, I did my mistake even for this episode, so we're okay. Destroy me. Okay, uh, right, well. Um, yeah, indeed. Talking about weather reports, we can uh, move on to talk about TV in general. So, Kara, would you like to tell us all about the first board game of the podcast? Yeah, sure. Ooh. So, the first board game um, called The Networks from 2016. Um, it's a one to five player game where you play the TV executives of different uh, TV networks and Basically, you try to fill your evening program uh, in a way that you get the most viewers out of it. Um, that goes over several seasons and um, you have to contract different actors and shows, put them into time slots and um, also run ads uh, for which you get paid. And when you understand the mechanic, you actually make a lot of money by it. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to realize how they work, but um, yeah, so um, it's a card game and um, it's pretty simple to, to learn and um, has nice mechanics, though I feel like you really get most out of it if you are very knowledgeable about TV culture, which I am unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I I played this with Kara and I um, and my friend Sam joined us, and then I've also played this a few times before with um, Greg, who really enjoys this game because uh, he absolutely engages with the theme for him. Um, yeah, it's it's a kind of sweet little uh, Euro game with a definitely. Uh, quite a, an ethnocentric sort of perspective. If you're not not into the, uh, the television, um, you're not a heavy watcher of it, or at least American television or British television, in the case of one of the expansions, yeah, you can absolutely miss out on 
a lot of the humor. But I found it interesting when you said that, that at least you could engage with the mechanics, which was meant that they weren't terrible. Once you, because you know, if you peel, if you have a game with a jokey bunch of like, um, like Rob Boss uh, as a star, you know, that kind of level of humor. If if that's peeled off, and the game still you can engage with it, then thank goodness, because otherwise it's just a bad joke. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think the mechanics are good, um, and it was funny from the team from the theme for me it was just i didn't get the jokes but um, basically like the shows and actors and ads all reference real shows actors and uh, companies and whatnot but um, in a funny way so they are still funny even if you don't necessarily get what they are referencing so for me it was just a a couple of silly sounding shows um, and that was fun (laughs) Yeah, yes. Yeah, so some of the puns are, are quite um, quite fun. I actually have the get they physically have the game right here with me. That and the expansion. Um, uh, so I, I should I should have opened it in preparation, shouldn't I? But yeah, you, you've got you've yeah. got you got some nice little jokes like uh, oh let's actually find one that I understand because the first one I looked at I went I don't know what this is referencing. Um, how I left your father. You know that that's. Yeah. A, Okay, that's what I get. (laughs) Yeah, or Tiny Pop Hypothesis, which I liked once. It's got a picture of Einstein on there. I would watch that over the show it's actually referencing. Um, As I've uh, not played Network yet, uh, I'm kind of wondering, is it specifically um, US media culture or is it US, UK, uh, I don't know, Russia and Japan? Or is it like very specific in terms of... um, what type of media reference? The core game is very exclusively American shows, um, like Hopper, Idaho Ranger, um, and so on. Like uh, you'll get some of them. For example, there's a. I, I just briefly uh, every show when you uh, get it has like four bars that tell you how well it performs in each season. So it will vary on how they perform. Um, usually they do quite well in the first season if you put them in the correct time slot uh, and then some of them will do better in the second season and they might suddenly just drop off viewership in the third and fourth um, but uh, yeah certain that the playful row of chair uh, will definitely get trashed at the last season yes yeah but uh, as i was going to get onto, th- you'll be able to get who this is this guy is called always dies in everything he's a star you can hire for your show and if you put you can choose which way you rotate him so you can either be two different ways up if you orientate him in his normal way up uh he scores you like one viewer one million viewers in the first season two in the three four million in the third season and then nothing in the last because he dies in the third season but if you <laughs> rotate him round, he scores you four million viewers in the first season and and then nothing because he's dead and you need to get a new star for the show. So, of, of course, that's a famed British actor, Sean Bean, who dies in almost everything apart from Sharp, which he hasn't I, died in yet. I, I am checking the TV shows now. There's criminal mindfulness. I like that one, yeah. <laughs> Dextrous. <laughs> yes, with him juggling a load of body parts and, and weapons. Yeah, the, there's, the artwork does a lot to help sell the... Um, the jokes as well i think it's a really pretty game oh okay there's the sultry sexy lady i think yeah. uh, i think she's an actor an actress <laughs> yeah everyone loathes raymond and wants to see him suffer yes absolutely G- wild, Gosh, what... An- wild animal wrestling federation 
where, where I've where have I been all this time? I I need this game in my life. I I I, I love this game. I think as well, it plays solo. It plays two, three, four, five. It scales very well because it's essentially a card drafting game. But the shtick is that you're drafting. Oh, you can only have three shows running at a time, and you want them to score as many viewers as possible. And you're gonna support that by putting in stars that hopefully bring in more viewers and if you can adverts that will bring in money to pay for the fact that you're playing paying for stars and you're paying for shows and they may have ongoing running costs um it is pretty pretty sweet you 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 start off and you're like this is fairly simple i'm just taking a card a turn and then you get two three seasons down the line and you're bogged down in maybe like for my game when i played i spent the first two seasons with barely any money struggling to be in third place out of three players like I've sometimes felt like I was going to be in fourth place out of three. I did end up turning it round. I had a very good final season and, and I won. Um, but I think it, it, if um, Cara had been more familiar with the final season scoring, where you score all the shows, age them and then score them a second time. Um, I think Cara would have picked some different shows for the final season and probably had a stronger pl- showing. Yeah, that was definitely a mechanic that I didn't, really understand existed until it suddenly happened um (laughs) yeah it's tough because i talked about it a few times but i knew from previous games that it doesn't matter how many times you try and explain it until somebody plays through it for the first time it doesn't click that that you have to score then age and then score again but um yeah the uh i have all of the expansions um telly time we mentioned we played a bit with that that has british shows so for myself and Sam, that was a real like joy to see these shows that either I'd watched or I heard of or my parents had watched, like uh, Tem Enders, which is just a reference to EastEnders. That that show never dies. My mum's still watching it over in the UK, of course. T- tell me, tell me, there there's a Dark Viper or something like that. <laughs> um, you can also you also get the the biggest most substantial expansion is the Network Executives. And this changes the start of the game where you get a executive for the bottom half of your scoring board that gives you special abilities. Um, uh, For example, one of them is the um, procrastinator who they are out of the office. And for the entire first season, you're not allowed to bring in any new shows because you're busy. You're not at the office, Um, but you get benefits of being able to fix genres. And genres in this game are pretty cool. It's a set collecting mechanic where you get multiples of the same genre and then you get a bonus so if you become the network that is known to do a medical show uh like the show uh, home for example then you get a <laughs> home <lot of laughs> yep That's home fun. or um casualties yeah or femur <laughs> UK one. yes I I just I just saw the card of the show polyage <laughs> which I guess it's leverage <laughs> yeah yeah um the uh, that's like the set collecting mechanic, which I just briefly mentioned, is pretty interesting. Uh, in the core base version of the game, when you get three of the same uh, show, you get a bonus of your choice of either some adverts to get some money or a star to get into a show. Um, and then if you get five, you get like a really big bonus. Um, that uh, of some network cards. And network cards are like special game-breaking cards that you can pick up and they give you either persistent abilities for the whole game or they'll give you like one-off abilities immediately or something you can cash in to get more points so not only are you building this engine of network stuff but you're also 
trying to grab network cards and constantly you have this state of looking at the all the different cards and you're like i'll get this i will get this i will get this and somebody else hooves it up and you're like uh there it goes like i was too busy trying to get shows or trying to get adverts i just now i can't get this um which is something that happens in all drafting games i find but uh, i i don't know i i really like this i think it's cute and very cozy and fun yeah, I guess there is also a, a fair deal of player blocking, right? Well, you're constantly taking well, you're constantly taking stuff that other people want, and at a higher level, you could specifically look at other players' boards and be like, "Ah, oh, they they want this show for their three of a kind set. I'm going to take it." But in practice, early on, you're too busy juggling just getting your station to run without being in debt and having to spend viewers instead of money. I'm guessing that the fact that the show is uh, that the the game is very funny and full of jokes means that uh, that that there's like a, a very good ambience around the the board, uh, since people talk and all of that. Definitely. Yeah, lo- looks like looks like fun times. Uh, how long is a game of the networks? Um, I'd say about half an hour per player. Okay, so a four-player game would be two hours. Yeah, yeah, about that. How long were we, Kara? I have no idea anymore. <laughs> but it <laughs> felt we short. Around... It felt short. Yeah, it, it flew by, but I think we were including rules explanation in under two hours for a first game. Awesome. Um, with three players. Yeah. We, which is pretty cool for a set collection game, actually. I, I think that the set collection without auction mechanisms are not that short. Yeah. Uh, the box says uh, 60 to 90 minutes uh, with one to five players. So yeah, it seems fairly reasonable. When we played it four player, we definitely took the better part of around two hours and a bit. But um, Greg is very, like, as I mentioned at the, the start of this, the theme for him is everything. So he spends all <laughs> his time critiquing other people's networks. And uh, he was very harsh to me when I made a network about reality shows and sports. He didn't think very much of that. <laughs> I mean, if you do, do if you do reality uh, shows and wrestling, then that's very much in team. Yeah, it, absolutely. Well, I mean, he could he could talk though. I mean, when when I played with him, he made a, a, a damn network of sci-fi and action, and literally had a weeb for a star. I mean, come on, you know. Just because I'm making something with broad appeal to most most and lots of advertising opportunity, I'm not making fun of you for just specialising in your in your sci-fi network. <laughs> yeah, it's. I also just briefly say when it comes to the um, box, it's like you know the GMT boxes. That's the, so it's very thin um, and rectangular. So it doesn't take up a lot of space on the shelf, which is nice. Yeah, I think I have a Sekigahara, which should be published by GMT. It's actually, a thing I can say about the box is that it actually fits way better than the content. So it's great for that purpose. Let's say it is a bit disorganized, not organized internally, but the box itself is a good fit for any shelf. Yeah, when you try and fit all the expansions in and everything, it's a mess. Okay, it's worth mentioning Rival Networks, the recent game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kara didn't have a chance to play that. I've played it a few times. It's 
it's got the same theme and it's got some of the similar mechanics as in you will get shows you'll get stars you'll get adverts you'll pick up network cards but it changes a lot of stuff you're directly competing head-to-head over viewers for each time slot 8 p.m 10 p.m 11 p.m um and uh you're, you've got goals at the end of the game to score points on instead of just the highest number of viewers wins um which mixes stuff up a lot and there's a few other wrinkles for example uh adverts now don't give you money instead you discard them to pay for network cards uh so it's it's its own beast with the same theme which is interesting in itself uh it's definitely um a bit weird to make the transition between the two games because you're kind of like you look at everything looks the same you're like i know how this works and like some of the mechanics work the same and you're like ah, i know where i am and then suddenly it curveballs you and you go oh what okay so it's um and it's got cute little houses that you put the viewer tokens into so it's a fast to player version of a very 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 streamlined of the same game yeah, yeah, it's very streamlined. It's changed a few things. Uh, it's done within 30 to 45 minutes for a two-player game. Which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I was interested in it. I, I missed the Kickstarter. Actually, I had to renounce it back then because I, I don't know what was up, but probably not worth it. Uh, I think it's fulfilling now, so it should be on sale uh, some day or another around these days. It's on sale locally for me, so yeah. I didn't cool. back the Kickstarter, I picked it up from retail. That's pretty cool. Mm. Uh, speaking of Kickstarters, so um, Alexis, would you like to tell us about another Kickstarter game? Of course. It's been for a few months now my to-go game to go see my parents, and it's Project L that I backed on Kickstarter, um, I think two years and a half ago, something like that. It's a tiny game that we already mentioned quickly in the um, BGG Awards uh, episode, and it's rightly defaults its stay. It, it's it's um, place there. Uh, basically, it's a game about Tetraminos, where you have a few cards, uh, puzzle cards in the in the front in between every player, um, and players start with a certain number of tiny Tetramino pieces. And as the game progresses, there they can either take uh, a new puzzle or uh, upgrade one of their pieces. So, for example. Uh, a one-bit piece becomes a two-bit piece, but they always have different shapes, so you kind of have to adapt your thinking around that. And as the game advances, you need to fit to to get a proper hand of pieces to fulfill the cards that you get in front of you. But there's also like a couple of additional rules that will mean that, for example, when you finish a puzzle, you get to immediately take a new um, Tetramino piece. And so as the game progresses, you sort of start building a little engine. And there's a little bit of that. It's not exactly an engine building game, but there's just a few elements that make it a little bit more complicated and um, interesting. I think it's a, it's a pretty pretty cool game to, to have at hand. Uh, I definitely really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's been my, my little experience with it. Uh, I don't know if anybody else played it so far. Actually, I checked the print-to-play version, and I was trying, since I saw a lot of people trying to do that, I was trying to 3D print my own print-to-play version, but 
uh, not yet quite not quite there yet. Uh, anyway, I, I love Polyomino's games. I, I don't know if it's time to give the boring. Actually, it's not Tetrimino's part. <laughs> <laughs> because... well, why not? Go on. Go on. Educate us all on the difference. Okay. So you feel free to go to sleep. Basically, it's a Polyomino game because a Tetrimino is a, a, is a piece made just of four cubes while a polyomino has uh, more as any number of cubes since uh, in project l you have uh, one uh, pieces from one one cube pieces for two cubes three and four it's actually polyominoes a game like tetris in uh, on the other end it's just four pieces it's just every pieces is a tetrimino so they are actually properly tetriminos Okay, so Did you lose me again? That makes sense. <laughs> so now I feel really stupid for asking, but I mean, I learned about this game like an hour ago. So um, when I looked at it, my first thought was, oh, cool, it's Tetris the game. And now I learned, no, it's actually specifically not Tetris because it does have... It's Polyominoes is the game. Um, yes, I, I think that it is... That you can, if you introduce it to your friends or your family as Tetris the game, uh, people will get it. Um, it. It's slightly different than Tetris because you're not trying to do lines, you're trying to fulfill specific puzzles. But I think that's a great way to, to have that in front of a table because if it was you just know, fixing a lane, should... it would be pretty easy, I think. Yep. I should hope you're not trying to do lines when playing. Uh, did... bonjour, bonjour. Oh, someone, uh, someone joined. Oh, Hi. The... There's someone else. Well, we're learning all about Project L, and apparently you're supposed to, you're not supposed to do lines while playing it, which I think is good advice because that may distract your concentration. <laughs> and gone. <laughs> oh, she by. said she 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 podcast bombed us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, David like got swept away by a flood recently. So... <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, I I've been trying to get this and. I cannot. Like the the pre-order link on BoardGameGeek pushes across to a Polish website, and uh, I, I I can put all my details in. I put everything in correctly, and it will not let me like pre-order the game at all. That's a which shame. Very frustrating. I can yeah. imagine. If you if you want, maybe we can uh, we can find a way to to fix that. Yeah. Uh, yeah order okay. it to. Uh, uh, somewhere that they accept you to send it. I know that they definitely managed to to get my version. So. Yeah, they said they're shipped anywhere in Europe, and the shipping thing isn't the problem. It's just literally the website's not progressing, like it's not um, activating the confirm and move on to payment options. Uh, so I don't know. I know what I was doing wrong because I, on three separate days, retried it, and it didn't happen, which is a shame because I, I do like games like this. I enjoy Isle of Cats, which recently finished its Kickstarter, um, and that's another one. Uh, and um, the Copenhagen Roll and Write game, I quite enjoy as well. Even though it's it's not super amazing, but it is it's it's fun. It's something uh, about these shapes that are very enticing. Yeah, it's it's a really fun game in in the the physical way. Like the the pieces just makes you want to put them in your mouth. The the whole thing is nice. The little puzzle cards have indentations, so that when you put them down. They, they stay in, uh, in place. I love indentation in my cards. That's my uh, that's my weak point. I love double layered cards. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
like that that was one of my criticisms about um what uh wild ascent was that they didn't double layer their player boards it it makes everything so easy <laughs> yeah it's nice to just have spaces where you slot things in like terraforming mars the the player boards yeah. on that are garbage and then if you get yourself your own double layered like cover for it or you set that up then all of a sudden the game's so much cleaner and easier to use so having a, an actual mechanic where the whole point is to slot things into holes sounds great yeah yeah like in beyond the sun when you get the technologies and stuff and you are happy because everything is double layered then you get the card an action on the card the card is not double double layered and so it's a bummer can you imagine like getting a deck of double layered cards (laughs) like having to shuffle and deal those out I, I think that uh, that so you have been eaten uh, as promised at triple layer stuff. Yeah, we'll have to see when that that arrives. Um, I think that the biggest um, advantage of this game is really that it's tiny. The the price point is I think under thirty euros, um, shipping included in a lot of places. Um, and it's just a it's a very tiny box. It's uh it's around the same size as my as my hand it doesn't weigh that much so it's something that's super transportable it plays in under an hour and because the um, the condition to win is the amount of cards that you put in the game you can easily adapt that a little bit and i just think it's a it's a perfectly sized and played uh games like this i i really enjoy that yeah, it feels like it'd be quite accessible, very easy for people to get into. How challenging does it get? Uh, it can get pretty challenging since uh, around the mid-game to the late-game, what becomes more uh, important starts to to be really like planning two, three moves in advance, sometimes um, also looking around the, the board to see what the other players are going to go for because you want to get... Uh, certain of the puzzle before they they get it. Um, so there's a an interesting. Uh, I think that there's like some nice uh, challenging mechanics. And there's one expansion. I think it's called Ghost Pieces. I would need to to double check that. Um, that basically adds a few more um, end game rules, basically. Um, and I think that's that's uh, that's pretty neat. Like if you play the game enough, I would definitely say that the the expansion is a is a good second buy because it really adds just an extra layer to the game. Yeah, they've got two expansions that I see listed. Um, ghost piece, indeed. Uh, special five level five ghost pieces in a room for six player games, and there's also finesse apparently for uh, coming out this year. Uh, oh yeah, they announced that. I've not checked it out yet, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And then apparently there's a an ambassador pack, but I suspect that's uh, that's something different. Uh, I think that the ambassador pack something. is the um, the Kickstarter um, like bonus stuff that you got. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think that the best part of the game is is it, that it plays solo exceptionally well. Uh, yeah, that too. It's uh, it's really fun to play solo. It it it's, plays well at any number of players. There's a few games where, you know, they recommend to play, they, they say that it can be played with two or three players, but they, they're basically um, not playable unless you have five or six. 
Uh, Project L is the kind of game where if you play it solo, it will be very fun. If you play it with two players, it will be very fun. If you play it with three, four, five, six players, it will always be fun and always stay quick because the decisions that you are going to make are going to be very fast and snappy. Um, there's tactics, but it's never really something that you want to, to think too long about. Um, I Yeah, it's a, it's a big recommendation. And uh, in my opinion, there's a very good um, reason why it was in the uh, BGD Awards. Yeah, it's everything I've seen about it. I'm excited. As I say, I've been trying to get it. It just doesn't seem possible. Distribution isn't there yet. When playing solo, um, is it like, do you have a goal or is it like, hey, you got 60 points, so you are mediocre or... <laughs> I always love it when it has point scores like that. You have to compare yourself to some table. You suck. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, the, the game judges you like Coffee Roster. I don't know that game. <laughs> oh, it's a game when you roast beans of coffee and you make an end scoring and that actually you can score pretty, pretty poor. Okay, so yeah, so in the end it's just you try to beat your own high score. Uh, uh, any, any, anyway, actually, I would uh, like to know uh, an answer from Alexis because I actually uh, have a soft spot for the polyominoes game, but uh, for the special puzzle, actually. But uh, I, I never. Th there's always something which uh, isn't quite right. Uh, you can't play a lot solo. It's not exactly like a roll and write. Uh, you would play better with a roller right like Railroad Inc. So since this one got a recommendation, especially for solo, I am exceptionally curious and that's what drew me, drew, has drawn me to this game. Yeah, um, and also as Alessio said, there's a print and play version. I'm 99% certain it's free. I think that they released it during the Kickstarter. So if anybody is interested, I mean, there's always the BGG version, I think, but if anybody is interested, just give a try to the print and play version. Yeah, give it a try. It's uh, it's uh, uh, officially licensed, or at least I got it from an official share from the from the from the publisher so uh, i i think it's perfectly okay i don't know if it was just for the for the time of the kickstarter or if you can have uh, any time but should be free and free to use yeah i don't think i've heard of somebody release a print and play and say you can only print and print this if you get it within a certain time window that's if they ever do that i don't think that they understand how the internet works yeah Exactly. Yeah, we, we will get to the point and eventually. Your print and play has expired. So yeah, they'll be putting together fungible print and plays. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. So go 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 ahead and print your own resin version of the of the game. You you environmental monster. Well, yeah. Who knows? I'm uh, I, I'm not going to print my own. <laughs> it looks too nice. The 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 you know. The copy that they've made is just too, too clean. Yeah, um, it, it was a little bit late on the, the Kickstarter, but I think that they really did uh, an amazing, um, an amazing work on it. And uh, I think that the, the team behind that game is definitely uh, one to look after. Yep, definitely. Definitely. We'll keep an eye on stuff from them in the future. 
if uh, if anybody wants to go for special puzzles there's a kind of different on the same uh, genre which is the Looney Pyramid series uh, they are games which range from uh, uh, kind of bad to very very cool uh, there are I think six or seven games based on these 3D p- pyramids there is good stuff there is bad stuff but everything is there uh, it's reviewed and there are very opinionated gamers uh, yeah, special puzzles are most... cool yeah, they're mostly known as the Ice House games because that was the first game that introduced the pieces, but there's a lot of them now. Yeah, exactly. There are, I think, three three seasons of Looney Pyramids. Uh, and Kara was showing earlier a game about with cubes and tetraminos, I think? Yeah, um, it, 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 it made me think, Project L made me think of Catacombs Cubes, uh, which is I don't know. I, I think I, I don't have. I haven't played Project L, but it feels to me like Project L is a, like a smaller, more um, easier to get into and um, play two D version of Catacombs Cubes, um, which has basically also puzzles. It has a theme. You like you build a city and you'll draw cards, which show you how a building is supposed to look like made out of the, these 3d pieces and uh, you have to collect the pieces and build the buildings um, to score the card so since you're building up uh, is there also like a, a sort of um, a jenga type uh, mechanic where if, they, if it falls it's yeah um, i mean theoretically yes practically um, i mean they do have the rule that you the building has to keep standing without you touching it for like three seconds or so but um, when i played it that was never an issue because the uh, the buildings they work really well and uh, they aren't very high like mostly three or four uh, blocks high and so it's it's fine um, and yeah so make me think of that but it's a bigger box and it's really heavy because it has this, <laughs> these really big I can imagine yeah wooden pieces uh, which is great to for especially if you play with children but not so great if you want to carry the box around <laughs> oh I, I saw the game board the game is huge every game is transportable if you are uh, motivated enough if you are brave enough <laughs> yeah I, I remember hauling around uh the kingdom death box to play it at, at some friend's house and it's definitely not a game that i would ever call transportable that there's that glo- there's that gloomhaven with the 13 cards 18 mm-hmm. cards <laughs> gloomhaven is easy to transport i i used to transport kingdom death across two cities so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. If there's a will, there's a way. But uh, I can see it. It's pretty. This it's really pretty. Although the buildings um, look like a mess, I wish all the cubes were just not coloured. I imagine that helps, though. Yeah, I mean, you don't. Which is a little sad. You don't keep the buildings. You basically build one and then you raise it again and build the next one. So the colors don't matter as much. I mean, the colors are there to distinguish between the pieces, but... um... So it's a bit like Tiny Towns. Once you've constructed the building, you're replacing it with a representative of that building rather than leaving the pieces there. 
I, I was wondering how much it took you to mention it. It looks really cool. Oh, uh, yeah. I have to. Um, I'll have to keep an eye out to see if that one ever turns up for a nice price. Oh, again, it plays solo apparently. So that's very much a theme for today because the next game I'm going to talk about is one which I mentioned in the last podcast, and it also can be played solo, as in every single game we talked about on this podcast can be played solo, apart from the rival networks, and that is uh, Destinies. Now, I'm not going to talk about this one for too long, because um, ultimately uh, I I have some sort of quibbles with the game, but uh, I said I'd talk about it here, so we will. Uh, Destinies is a one to three player competitive role-playing game, is the, the pitch that they've gone for. Um, it was a relatively successful Kickstarter. Uh, it's reached retail, and the retail copy is pretty much playable as is. It's quite affordable as well. Not not expensive, especially given that it's got a lot of little plastic miniatures in the box. But when you open it up, you'll realize they're very little. So the conceit is this. One to three players. Weird number, I know. There is a fourth player expansion box, which I find a bit frustrating that they release the fourth player as an expansion, but one to three players will sit down to play a scenario. Uh, it uses an app for the vast majority of the play. The app is brilliant. Okay, I'm going to talk a bit more about it, but just because I normally quibble about apps being in games, I'm just going to say that the app is really good. Uh, and you'll set up the scenario. You have a, a square cut tile, much like um, Seventh Continent sitting in the middle and then some other tiles face down which show faded out versions of stuff in the distance. You'll start up the app, you'll pick a character. Uh, there are three choices typically. Um, in the first scenario you can play as a hunter, a witch or a noble. Um, then the game will tell you which model to get to pick up to represent them. You put that on the board. It'll tell you what your um, starting stuff and stats are. And that's one of the cleverest things about this game is the stats. So you have three, red, green, and blue. Um, if I remember correctly, blue's knowledge and red's power, and I always forget what green is, but effectively they're intelligence, strength, and dexterity, you know, which is the ones we're all familiar with. Um, but that you will get a number of, of pips that you put on this little track on this lovely double-layered board, and the discs just slot in. Now, the neat thing is, is those four discs or three discs represent your skill in that particular area. So say in knowledge, you could have a three, a five, a six and a ten. When you do a check, you roll dice and for every uh, every number less than the, or equal, equal to or less than the number you have rolled, you get a success. So if I roll my my dice on a score of seven with that uh, lineup, three, five and six, I've got three successes. The ten is not a success. During the play, these these will slide up and down all over the place, and you you aim to try and lower them. Uh, you can also boost your checks by using these one-off work dice that you gradually generate one a turn, or you can eat food to get all of them. Um, and effectively, that's all you need to know to play the game. Everything else you follow through on the app. You, it sets up. It tells you how to set everything up. It tells you know you, to navigate around the map. You'll click on the tile. It'll tell you flip it over if anything special happens when the tile flips. It'll tell you to do that. If there's any locations to interact with, it'll pop them up. Uh, any miniatures you put on the board, it'll reveal them. And the vast majority of the gameplay is all set up inside the app. Even tracking like hidden things as to how many turns before something happens. So 
I gotta say, all of this mechanically, I wish Seventh Continent was doing this. Honestly, if Seventh Continent had this app instead of that giant pile of cards, I would still be playing Seventh Continent right now, straight up. Like the Ooh. app is brilliant. That's a uh, bold it, affirmation. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's it's just taking so much heavy lifting, and just makes the game really easy to get into, and you're set up and ready to play very quickly. Uh, and ev everything just makes sense. You kind of go, all right, well, I'm going to go to the uh, inn and I'm going to steal some gold. So you'll make a check against your green trait. Call it uh, talent, I think it might be now. Now I'm thinking about it. Uh, if you, and you take how many successes you've scored. And then, boom, you it tells you what the results are. And, and that app is doing so much great work. Now, here's the rub. Hated it. If you replace the cards from Seven Continent with an app, you don't have a board game anymore. You just have an app. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but that's effectively what you've got here. But you still have a physical board game. But not all the cards. I, I mean, like, all of the... Like, if Seventh Continent, if you go to um, uh, a place and, you know, you interact with a, a, a yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, it, that bit, then the, instead of drawing cards for that, you'd resolve it on the app. I do agree you'd pretty much have just an app, but you could have the tiles, you could have the survival deck still for all of the actions and successes you're generating, but the rest of it could all be behind the app. Basically all the events and such. Yeah, but one of the, the biggest argument against it is that, you know, it's basically an adventure game that you very much could play just as a as a video game, way more than most board games. Yep, yep, certainly. Yeah, but anyway, okay, so as I was saying, uh, there's one problem. We hated it. Oh, that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not the mechanics, all right? This this game is sweet as heck, and with a better set of writing, it would be incredibly enjoyable. We played two of the scenarios, and after that we were like, we don't really want to play anymore. Um, in the first scenario, uh, I, I didn't know what my character was going to be like. I just picked one of the ones, and as the scenario unfolded, I realized my character was a complete complete asshat like really obnoxious awful basically the bad guy the entire scenario <laughs> and i didn't really want to be winning and and, and so everyone else who's playing was kind of like oh uh, oh geez like they're struggling and I, everything <laughs> fell in place for me and i got to the end and while i'm doing the actions of the end piece i'm like i don't want to be doing this like i'm just following through the motions on something that uh, this is not what i wanted uh, because the game obfuscated what the destinies that I could have chosen from were. But I, I got the feeling both destinies were kind of not great. Um, so maybe it'd be more fun if I played a different character. But in the other scenario, I had a similar problem. The biggest issue is we get to the end and the story as it unfolds goes, it's wonderful and great for the person who won. Everybody else has the most miserable time possible as some of them maybe <laughs> die. And it's like, whoa, talk about walking away from this game with a really bad aftertaste. So... Is this like a competitive game then? Yeah, it's competitive. You're racing. You, you, you. I didn't, as I was brushing over this, uh, you, at the start of the game, on the back side of your character card, you have two destinies. And they'll tell you something you need to do. In the first scenario, for example, I had to either get three items with the keyword ritual or three items with the keyword silver. And uh, it, it, then, then I would fulfill my destiny. Um, and I then had to go to a location and start the end game and everyone else would get a bit of a warning that, oh dear, the hunter's in the end game. And, um, and sure enough, I was. And at that point, it was impossible for anyone to catch up because I just kind of steamrolled through 
all of the final end events, there was, wasn't even a chance of me failing because of the way the game had panned out. Um, I will say, I think maybe this might be better if I played it solo. Because yeah, maybe. then I've got, like, I can just play the character, play through the destiny, and then I can even replay that same scenario playing a different character, or even the same character with the other destiny. And yeah, sure, I'll get familiar with the map and come to understand where all the bits and pieces are, but you never see everything in a single playthrough. And the first scenario, for example, is only a, I think it's a 9 or 12 tile board. It's very tight. It doesn't expand off anywhere. Um, you certainly know where... You, what you yes 12 tiles you know where you're going with everything so maybe this is a, a game i'd recommend playing solo and if you don't mind a game where at the end of it people who lose are basically really told well you're a you're a real big fat loser then maybe it's okay for them as well but, uh, <laughs> but we we did not enjoy it um we do play competitive games occasionally um and can get quite cutthroat on them but at the end of this one i felt bad winning and everyone else felt bad losing and we were just like, well, I guess we should play one more scenario to make sure that it's not just a one-off. So I think maybe the writing is the problem here. Because I, I, throughout it all, I was like, oh, if Seventh Continent's writing was with this app, I would, I would still be playing Seventh Continent. I'd be playing it like several times a week, for sure. Okay. It has several expansions, which are more scenarios, but I think that they are more of the same, more kind of like that. Yeah, they're more scenarios. Who knows about the writing? Better writing, better writing on scenarios may change things a bit. Um, it's, it's hard to say, but uh, I don't think I can give a recommendation to this one. Um, I'd also say the miniatures. Don't get this if you want to like paint miniatures, because they are like 9mm tall. They're tiny, which is great, except when you're on the board, you're squinting and going, is that woman, is that the witch, or is that the maid, or is that the gypsy woman? I can't tell. I've forgotten which one my piece is, because they're all the same homogenous grey, and even certain models are like interchangeably used for multiple different characters in different scenarios. Saves money, <laughs> but can get confusing. I think another thing to to uh, mention here, um, you said it's one to three players and there is an expansion for four players. However, while one to three players is strictly competitive, four players is specifically two versus two. So um, that's maybe something to keep in mind for people who think it might still be for them, but they want to play with four players. It changes the game probably a lot. Yeah, I... I feel a bit annoyed as well that they put the fourth player behind an expansion. Like, I, sometimes games put, say, the sixth player behind an expansion. And I'm okay with that. Like, five, or maybe even the fifth player. But a three-player game's a really weird number to start with. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially since most games play at four, so usually you have at least um, a table of four for board games. My groups always have five. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a problem. Um, and not every game has uh, good rules for five players. Sometimes they just throw their hands in the air and say, play it with five player and see how it works. And anyway, I find it interesting that uh, the four player version plays like the king is dead. <laughs> two versus yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two versus two might, might change the mechanic a bit more. At least two people get to share in a victory and not feel bad. Yeah, that could not be a bad thing. Okay. That definitely sounds like a good game. 
Okay, and well, that brings me on to the game I am going to be talking about, which uh, by now a written review should already be out for. This is the 1-5 to five player detective game from Van Ryder Games, Detective City of Angels. Not to be confused with Detective a Modern Crime board game, Detective a Modern Crime board game season 1, or uh, the other one, Detective a Modern Crime board game expansion LA Crimes. This is an entirely different detective game. Uh, I'm going to call it City of Angels for the duration of this, to just distinguish it from the others. But this is a 1940s crime thriller board game in the vein of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Uh, like the video game L.A. Noir, so it's got a heavy film noir theme to it. Now, you will be a detective in the trench coat, the fedora hat, maybe a nice tidy smart little dress and a tight fedora hat. Who knows? It's it's really, you know, you be the detective of your dreams, except you're a bit dirty. In true noir fashion, I think. Yes. Yes. You're you're dirty. And drunk. No, not necessarily drunk. I I want to eat, I want my detective to be drunk. Your detective can be drunk. Okay, Abs absolutely. Your detective is so drunk that he barely wakes up for the case. <laughs> yeah, goes through it all sleeping, sure. That's my boy. Yeah. So, you will sit down and this gorgeous board will be laid out in front of you, showing LA from an isometric view. It is stunning. It, it divides LA up into a bunch of different districts and, oh, I... I talked about this with a number of games, but this is another one where I would hang the um, the board on the wall if I could, because it's absolutely gorgeous. It looks really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's got a space along the top where you uh, keep all the evidence cards. So all the evidence in this game is physically produced in cards, and they're face down at the start of the game, and then the case will tell you when to turn them face up. You've got on the right-hand side, you've got a tracker showing a number of days. If you play this solo, you've got 12 days to crack the case. Not unlike Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, where you kind of keep going for as long as you want to pursue leads, this game gives you a finite time limit, and that really changes the experience. Uh, if you play four-player, four detectives, in fact, that's five-player, I'll get to that, you only have seven days to crack the case, but there's more of you covering more ground, except only one person gets to solve this case. Every other detective gets a dressing down from the chief at the end and gets to suck on dirt. Yeah. So, how does this work? Essentially, you get your case. The very first case, I'm not going to give any spoiler details away, it's called Blood on the Pier, and it is a case where someone's been murdered, and you have to find out who did it, what they did it with, and why they did it. Like uh, Clue. Yeah, it's it's a pretty straightforward case. It takes place on a shorter time frame than most of the others. You get less days. So if you're playing with four detectives, you only get four days instead of the usual seven. But it's very doable within that time. Now, on your turn, you get four actions represented by these little cubes that you'll slide around your board. The, you can move. 
you basically can move anywhere within your district. If you want to transition from one district to another, you need to get to one of the locations that shares both districts, and then you can move into either of the districts. There's even one location on the board that hits three districts at once. So hanging around on the edge of districts is very powerful. Unfortunately for you, you have to start your game at a police station, so you don't get to be like that initially. But you do get to pick which police station you're at when you begin. Then, at a location, you can search it. There's a hundred locations in this game. You can search any of them at all. Now, in the solo game, there's an entry for every single location in the game. And a lot of the time, it's just telling you fun ways of you're wasting your time here, but sure, okay. You might find a location that's relevant to the case that you think you need to take a look at, like, say, the scene of the crime. You could search that, and you may find some evidence there. Personally, I've, I've, uh, I've read your article on it, and it does seem like a really interesting game. Um, I, I really enjoy the, uh, the interrogation mechanic that you will talk about yep. later. But, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> but I, I think that it, has, it seems to have a lot of really interesting bits, and I'm definitely going to, to try and, uh, and play it. Yep. Well, let me, let me carry on. Yes. I, I'm I, just getting to I it. I filled the time while you were drinking. Yeah. So... You can also, if you're at a location with a suspect, search the suspect. You know, immediately just pat them down and uh, have a look to see what they're carrying. And sometimes this will give you evidence. Sometimes they'll just make fun of you because they haven't got anything. Who knows? These people are not always cooperative. But the big thing you can do when you're with a suspect is you can question them. And that's where this game goes from a pretty simple case of like just moving around, trying to get to evidence before anyone else, bribing to get access to evidence when you can't, maybe even bribing each other to get that access or a desk sergeant. No, all of a sudden, the, the fifth player, the non-detective, steps into focus. They are the chisel, which is a term for... Lying, cheating, and swindling. The chisel is your case master. Like a GM, like a games master or a dungeon master. They know everything about the case in advance. They have their own little book. They don't just have the uh, the case briefing. They've got everything. They know all of it, inside and out, all in advance. And they can reference anything. Now, for the most part, up until now, all they've been doing is been telling you, oh, yeah, there's some information there. You found this card. Here you go. You can have a look at this search location card. The suspect is holding these. You get to see these bits of evidence. But once it comes to questioning, the their agenda comes sharply into focus because you see the chisel isn't just a games master. They can win. And they win by obfuscating the case to such murky, muggy mystery that you cannot do anything, you can't figure it out, and the case goes cold. In other words, you don't solve it within the time limit you've got. And their biggest tool for doing this is the questioning mechanic. So you will sit down against a suspect, and you will look, and you'll say, okay, well, I'm with this suspect, and I'm going to ask them about this piece of evidence. You can only ask about evidence. You have to be very specific. So, for example, all I can do if I, if I arrived at the last standee location, is I could turn and I could say, okay, Chisel, I want to ask Alexis about the banana. <laughs> that's, that's it. I'm going to put one of my tokens to make sure I don't need to talk about my banana because for some reason I don't want to talk about my banana. Exactly. So at this point now, the Chisel's first action could be, well, your first action is if you have leverage over the Chisel, which I'll explain in a moment, you could spend that leverage and the Chisel cannot squirm out of this. They have to give you the best possible answer they can. 
But if you don't do that, then the chisel could slide their, your influence that they have accumulated across and block your question. You can't ask it for the rest of the day. However, if none of that happens, you get onto the really sweet part, which is they'll take a card, these square conversation cards, and they will put it into an envelope and it will show just the top section, this few sentences, you know, like you've just opened the envelope and peeked inside. That's the answer. They, they put it down and they slide it across the table to you and you pick it up and you read it. And then you look up and you stare at them and you just, you scrutinize every aspect of them are they are they trembling is that a tick because they could have given you a straight answer this might be the best possible information you can get on the banana it might be this it might just be a banana and it's going to be lunch and that's what you've been told but but maybe maybe there's something better maybe you could find out where that banana's from and actually that it's laced with arsenic and it was used as the murder weapon you don't know and you have to decide there and then. So you can say, oh, I accept this and you can make your notes on your on your grid, on your table and move on, handing that back. Or you could turn around and go, no, you're lying. I challenge you. And at this point, if you've successfully challenged them, you'll gain a leverage over the chisel and they have to change it to the best possible answer they can give you. So you will get it, the, the question card back, but it'll say something different brilliant you get it wrong and well you get no extra information obviously because there's nothing more to learn but also the chisel gets leverage over you and can use that to block later lines of inquiry now why all of that's going on while the two of you are engaged in this little like non-verbal bit of social deduction of like bluffing double bluffing and triple bluffing everyone else around the table has to have made a decision if they're going to bribe to hear the evidence or not and they they've decided in advance and they put the token face down and the chisels also had to decide if they want to block anyone from getting that information so it creates this extra sweet layer of it where you can just be like i'm going to give the person asking the question the honest truth but i'm going to block everyone else on the table because they're getting nowhere and i want to i want to mess with this particular one person and make them challenge me because i need leverage over them on something later on and these mind games go back and forth in a really sweet fashion. So mechanically, this game is, it's a detective game that is actually mechanically a game. Unlike many other detective games, which are, they're fun, like Chronicles of Crime, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and Detective, a modern crime board game are all really sweet experiences, but they're not games. Yeah, I can, I can concur. I... Yeah. I just browse through evidence until I accuse the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I gotta re just correct myself. They're not traditional games in the way that this is. This is this is very much an action economy based, almost euro game, with a hefty slice of social deduction. But it wouldn't be as good as it is if it what the cases were not there. And let me tell you, the cases are there. And I'm not going to go into the solo mode in full. It's very much like a cut down variant of the multiplayer version but it uses a paragraph based chisel sleuth book it's called um, uh, which like you turn to paragraphs to check the various bits of information after referencing tables and stuff it's actually very simple to move through uh, it's also the way i'd recommend you first play this game if you're going to be the chisel because that way you get to play every case twice which normally you can't do in this game but you can play the as the chisel as many times as you want as long as the detectives are all new to the case which is 
great. This means this is a wonderful game to just bring to a convention. And you sit there and you go, okay, well, I'm going to be the chisel and everyone can try and solve these cases and I get to be more and more crafty and devious each time I play. But that, like I was saying, all of that, it doesn't mean much if the cases are not good and the cases are amazing. So, as I said, the first case is just a simple murder case. Straightforward, it's meant to be fairly easy to solve. It's on the gumshoe difficulty level, which is the lowest. The second case, Murder at Sunset, is again, it's gumshoe. Uh, so, meant to be the simplest, but they make it a bit more complex. They put in some red herrings and twists and turns. And, like, it isn't, you're not going to immediately figure out and be like, ah, oh, I reckon it's this, this and this, and have a good shot at being right, because you're not going to have all the information. You know, you, you physically have to find the murder weapon, you've got to find the motive, and you've got to find the suspect, and it's not straightforward. But it was, and on top of that, it brought back characters from the first scenario, which I thought was great to see them again. I was like, oh my god, it's the same people from the first first scenario, and they're still out there doing this stuff. I know, I know this person, I am confident that they wouldn't have done this. Or, I know this person, I'm sure they're guilty, and... Eight, your expectations can get subverted. Or maybe this time something different happened. They they yeah. were pushed into a situation where they couldn't get back from. Uh, what I really exactly. liked from your explanation is that this is a, a really cooperative game that forces people to make deduction together and to, to think as a group. I, I think that those cool... Um, those cool little elements are, are really interesting and I'm, I'm well, curious about it. Yeah, You can play it as a very cooperative game, but the classic mode that they recommend isn't. Every detective is racing against each other. Like This comes in very sharply into focus in the third case, Heist to Nowhere, which is when I went from being like, oh, this is fun, I'm enjoying this, to, oh my goodness, these guys, they are showboating now with how clever they're being with their mechanics. It's a bank heist gone wrong some of the people have been arrested somebody's in the wind you don't even know who one of the suspects is you've got to find them and you've got to figure and the scenario only ends if you find the money and the first person to find the money wins <laughs> because they pocket some of it they, they get to skim a bit of it they do yeah but uh it it, it it changed the game and it subverted my expectations in a great way and also brought in this extra mechanic of mystery cards. And when I finally turned the first one of them around, I, I swore at the designers for being so smart and so clever. And then there was a second thing that happened that I'm not going to spoil. But when it did, I was like, oh, you swines, you, you absolute swines. This is brilliant. This, it felt like I was going through a detective story. And at the end of it, I looked at what I'd figured out and what I'd followed. I found the money. Um, and because it's a gumshoe case, you know, like you're probably going to succeed at it. But I could see multiple routes that would have brought me here to this conclusion. And I was like, that's great. That's good for playing against a bunch of other people is you can be following different sets of breadcrumbs to get to this same place. That makes the race even more exciting than just following straight on a single line. So, oh, and I'm not even going to start talking about the veteran level or the hard-boiled level of cases because I don't want to spoil anything about them, except to say, like, the, the very next case you do, the very first veteran one, you have one guy, he's walked into the uh, prison, uh, into a police station, and he said, hey, there's been a murder, and he's refusing to say anything more. And that's it. You've got him, three locations inv involved with him, and you have to unfold the entire case from there. And... Uh, 
it's brilliant. Just they, they've they've released um, eight additional cases on top of the nine that are in the box. They've got another one coming, and this is so such a clever system. I I, I could see it having legs and go, keeping going. So I mean I mean this sounds all really fascinating, but I have one really important question uh, mm -hmm. because I've played one detective game before, detective a modern crime board game, and it's. The only game I ever played where I specifically say, if someone invites me to play this game again, I will decline. Um, do I need to make mind maps to solve the cases? <laughs> no. Great. No. Making notes can help, you know, certainly. But each one of these cases played solo, I, I got through it within an hour. And it's a very clear narrative that I could follow. Nope, no need for no need for the sprawling mind maps where they give you a giant pile of cards for you to place around and figure everything out. Absolutely not. Not that complex. That's good. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and another thing, um, which is probably like somewhat uncomfortable to talk about, but um, mm -hmm. when I watched the review, um, I know there are mechanics for bribing, for pressuring. Um, um, People who watched something, how do we say it in English? Uh, witnesses. <laughs> Witness, yes. Yeah. Um, yep. Considering social um, discussions around police brutality and stuff like that, um, is this a problem? Is this in some way addressed in the game or in the rules? Um... That's a fair point. Um... I think given the trappings of this game, it's very hyper movie based. It doesn't feel particularly real at all. Uh, they oh. picked a time period that's fairly you know, old and even a fictionalized version of that. Also, I don't think at any time does the game make out that you are really the good guys. It's made fairly clear from the start that you're, you're corrupt cops. If I can interject the, the little bit that I've, I've seen and read, the tradition of um noir movie is usually it was very much based in a sort of a one of the first big anti-police movement in the u.s like especially with the, the prohibition and if this follows the, the tradition of, as i've seen in the uh, the little bit that i've read about the game um you know like every police officer is uh, a corrupt dickhead that wants first to to take care of themselves and like the i i'm going to assume that you know um the fact that you cannot find a good guy in the police force you know is a statement on its own yeah i think that's a fair thing to say yeah you can get access to information um evidence that uh, when a player gets evidence in the multiplayer version um they squirrel it away for three days and you can't get access to it until those three days have passed but you can get to it early by bribing you can either go to the location that the other officer is at with the evidence and you pay them to scratch they can't refuse they take the money yeah there's no like being good about this they will take the money and you get to see the evidence or you can go to any police station and bribe the desk sergeant for three scratch so Yep, absolutely. Every single cop in this seems to be dirty. There's sections where you're told to tread very lightly with a uh, woman who runs um, a, uh, what do you call it, a whorehouse? You know, just to be completely blunt about it, that she may have, uh, like, who knows what's in her book. So don't mess with her because that she may even have police names in there. 
So I, I don't think they um, they tread lightly about this. I think it's very much a fictionalized world where ev- yeah every every police officer is painted as being different shades of bad. Yeah, so yeah, for me for me it wasn't um, too much of an issue. Okay, yeah, but that's that's maybe something for for people with uh, bad experiences to to look out for and uh, keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just I, I I feel they've fictionalized the setting and the experience enough that it is distance enough for me. But yeah, I can understand some people may may want to avoid this. As likewise, you probably don't want to play this game with um, young kids. Um, you would probably want to play through a case beforehand to see whether you'd be okay with it. But at least it doesn't have the same problem Micro Macro Crime City has in that Micro Macro Crime City looks like a kid's game. And then you play a few of the cases and you're like, ooh, no, that's 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 not what I want my kids to, uh, yeah, to experience. Yeah, st- stuff gets dark fast. Yeah, it does. It does. This is th- this opens up pretty dark. And um, the first case itself, you know, is a murder case. And I, I'd spoiler it more, but it does include some fairly dark stuff. So yeah, they um, they don't hold back. Okay, well I think that is all we have time for here today. So you can catch us over at www.patreon.com/forward/slash/thelaststandee, or as the last standee on Twitter. And until next time, we have been the last standee. And it's goodbye from Alexis. From Belgium. Au revoir. Alessio. Bye bye, everyone. Cara. From Germany. Auf Wiedersehen. And myself. Bye. And remember that the second E in Standee is for entertainment. (laughs) 